Welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast, episode one, two, three. I am Mel from Metal Hammer, and you're Elle from Metal Hammer. Hi, Elle. Hey, you sounded like the Count from Sesame Street. Did I? <laughs> one podcast, two podcasts. I love that guy. <laughs> he is by far the best. Do they count as Muppets? One, two, three, count. Yeah, he was a Muppet. I know it sounds like a stupid thing to say, but I always thought, like, those, were, those guys weren't actually on the Muppets show, so do they not technically count as Muppets? Do you know what I mean? Because you've got Kermit yeah. and Piggy and Gonzo, and then you've got the Count, Big Bird, them lads. I'd count them as Muppets, because they are Muppety in form and function. It's they just that they weren't on the Muppet show. The Count was uh, the most metal Muppet, I think. He's so good. Loved him. Um, don't forget that the latest issue of Metal Hammer is out right now, by the way. You've got about a week left to pick it up in shops before we reveal our brand new issue next week. I'm talking about UK shops, of course, where you can get it all across the UK right now. Or if you've not had time to get out or you're shielding or you're just not, you know, not going into many shops at the moment, don't forget you can also get it delivered straight to your door, tinyurl.com slash buy hammer. To do that uh, we deliver worldwide by the way um, and if you head on to that website which is my favorite magazines um, then you can also find out ways to download it to your device and subscribe and all the rest of it we've got loads of good subscription deals for you at the moment as well always the cheapest option across the year to support metal hammer so if you're thinking about supporting us and uh, subscribing to us uh, now's as good a time as ever uh, my god how good was that trivium show on friday night jesus tits <laughs> it was brilliant it was the best stream show that i've seen so far during this whole strange times period they had an actual venue actual production an actual band <laughs> it was brilliant it was just like watching a normal show except obviously without an actual crowd being there it was good though was, uh, we were all kind of texting each other in the um in the metal hammer whatsapp group other social media platforms are available um and we were just constantly gassed up um i, I think it's now come off air but you, you could watch it for like the, the next couple of days after the show um but yeah it just looked great it looked like a kind of high-end performance um music video uh stretched across like an hour and a half or so and it was it was just so good like the set looked awesome the kind of screens they had um, and the light show they had going on, the camera shots they had going on were great. They had all these different cameras flying around that could capture up all these cool different angles and stuff. It just looked really high-end and really cutting edge. And I think probably most importantly is that the new song sounded fucking ferocious live. And um, they played like, let me just work this out. They played seven songs off What the Dead Men Say as well. And I thought every single one of them sounded really, really good. They started with the title track, didn't they? What the Dead Men Say. It was really cool because, like you said, Merlin, we were sort of WhatsApping each other or whatever, and just lyrics, just WhatsApping lyrics. Yeah, just the most standout <laughs> moments. And the, I mean, the, the opening run of tracks as well. To be honest, the whole set list was amazing, and they actually played stuff that I was slightly disappointed to not hear. I mean, this, you know, they only played two tracks off Shogun, which is maybe my favorite trivium album although the last two are running it close to be honest um and there were so many songs they could have played that would have still absolutely sounded amazing and they didn't this is a band that has one of the best back catalogs of bangers in modern metal now i think like this opening run of tracks right what the dead men say down from the sky in at number two catastrophist which sounded fucking huge the heart from your hate forsake not the dream 
coming in early there as well. The Defiant, and then pull harder on the strings of your martyr, like a third of the way through the song. It's just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it was hit after hit after hit. And there are a good few sections, well, the whole opening section, he didn't actually say anything, did he, for like, I didn't count maybe like half an hour, 45 minutes. They just kept playing song after song after song. But it was really cool having that unbroken run because you were sort of sucked into it a bit more. It didn't kind of break your reality. Yeah, it was awesome. Like, yeah, it's just, it's really cool when bands do that. It's one of the most kind of exciting things in live music when a band doesn't kind of give you any crowd patterns to start with. They just kind of just go bang, bang, bang and get you more and more excited each time. Um, I mean, we've talked about how brilliant Trivium have been live in the last few years, especially. Uh, the kind of Metal Hammer tour they did was maybe the best set they ever did. Um, but I mean, the, it's, it's a shame that we can experience this in a crowd because I could just envision people so strongly singing along to those new songs. They are just made for big live shows. Um, but it was still awesome and it still felt like a really good shared experience. They did, they had this big setup on their website uh, where they had people chatting on the front page while it was all going on. And it was just endlessly people getting excited and kicking off about the songs that were getting played. Um, like I said, loads and loads of new tracks. We even got a show stoppage for that extra bit of like gig realism when Alex broke something on his drum. So they had to stop the song for about two minutes or something. So that was kind of quite funny. Matt doing a bit of awkward like banter to a camera. Uh, and yeah, just the new songs. I keep saying it because it's true. The new songs just sounded great. Amongst the Shadows and the Stones was just ferocious. Um, Sickness Unto You, Bleed Into Me, which is just such an anthem. Um, and then, yeah, like, again, that final run, the last three songs, Throws of Perdition, The Sin in the Sentence, and In Waves, just astonishing. What a set list. Astonishing what a set, set list. list. So good. So good. So, actually, so I good. Actually, I actually did sing along to some of it out loud, even though I was by myself. So that's quite funny. Me too. Definitely helped by being a few beers deep at that point. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was all about it. I know, And it got me so hyped up that I actually... I was like, I need more music to watch. So I went straight onto um, YouTube and started watching Metallica Mondays for the last few years, <laughs> uh, weeks because I was so hyped up. But yeah, so, so glad that it was a massive success. I think um, it was uh, well over 10,000 people that tuned in and the mass, 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 mass majority of those were paying punters as well. Um, so there's real proof there that this whole streaming thing can work and it can create that kind of sense of occasion and excitement. Um, and Trivium are just at the absolute peak of their powers right now, I think. I don't think they have ever, ever been better than they are right now in this moment in time. And I'm glad they're still able to make the most of it without having the capacity to actually tour a very good new album. They've definitely set the bar now. It's going to be difficult to watch other live streams and not compare it to that one because it was so good. Yeah, it really, really is. That That is the gig. It was Code Orange right at the start of, of lockdown and now Trivium have kind of set the next standards. Um, so I'm excited, man. I, I hopefully this sets a new precedent for, for streaming going forwards because I think it's something that could very much continue. Uh, lots going on in the world of metal. The SNM2 album is finally coming, it looks like. Talking about the album in honour of the SNM2 gig, uh, gigs even, that happened in September of last year. Uh, courtesy of Metallica, of course, in San Francisco. Um, I might have been. I might have talked about that before. Uh, Lars Ulrich confirmed in a brief update before this week's Metallica Monday stream that it's coming real, real fucking soon. Uh, while James Hetfield... <laughs> Uh, and Lars as well revealed on some things posted on the band's Instagram that music from the release 
will be released on Wednesday, which is when we're recording this podcast. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, we should have a cut from SNM2 out on the internet somewhere for us to listen to. It's quite exciting. That is exciting. I mean, you were there, but the rest of us sadly weren't there. So it's going to be the film or, or not. I haven't actually seen the film. I wasn't able to make the screenings. I know there are a couple in cinemas. So I'm looking forward to experiencing the whole thing, really, seeing it and listening to it, pretending I was there. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, I won't do the whole do over again, but yeah, it was just one of the most amazing gigs ever. And I'm really excited about uh, the chance to, to relive it. And um, yeah, I think it's going to sound pretty castle, pretty, pretty castle. Uh, so yeah, more info on that soon. Um, in more gig streaming stuff, the Better Noise Music Festival is happening uh, tonight. If you're listening to this on Thursday, July 16th, 11 p.m. BST. And the likes of Motley Crue, Five Finger Death Punch, Pop Operation More are going to be playing that. So that should be quite interesting. Um, uh, yeah, if you're into those bands, don't forget to uh, to check that out. More info at metalhammer.com. Um, Nightwish have a crab? Yeah. <laughs> what? They have a crab. So they've had a few creatures named after them now. Nightwish, for some reason. I mean, they're really into biology and science and maybe scientists are really into them. And they have a new species of crab that's been discovered and named Tanadromitis nightwishorum in honour of Nightwish. Wow. wow. I want to track down the Nightwish crab. Well, I think it's an old crab. It was, it's from like the Jurassic period, so I don't know if it's still hanging around anymore. Oh, I've not actually read the story. I just read the headline. So it's like a, it's like a crab that used to exist and they found evidence of it. Yeah, there's a there's a new crab discovered that was alive um, at the end of the Jurassic period, I believe. So I don't know if that means it could still be around because they've been they're fucking old crabs. <laughs> it might still be kicking about. But yeah, what yeah, Nightwish getting animals named after him. What's going on? Because Flora I, got like a bug named after her or something, didn't she? Yeah, I I need to read the story because I need to know whether it's something that I can go and find. It was discovered in a fossil coral reef. There you go then. Maybe, yeah. It was a fossil, not like... Oh yeah, it was found in eastern Austria and lived, you're right, during the late Jurassic period. Um, And it was discovered in a fossil coral reef. There you go. That must be like a unique kind of power and weird job perk if you're like an archaeologist or a, a paleontologist paleontologist yes sorry that's what i meant um uh or like you know a biologist uh and whatever and you happen to be a metal fan you can discover stuff and just name them after whoever your favorite band is <laughs> that must be pretty cool i want to discover a sea creature and name it after one of my favorite bands i have to change career It'll probably take me a long time just to do I'm that. like amoeba called like trent Reznorium. Decorium or something. Yeah, exactly that. Okay. Or like a jellyfish called like um corn fish. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why they do that and we do this. Behold, corn no, fish. Wait, Jellyfin Davis. That's good, that's good. Jellyfin Davis, yeah, feel that, sure. <laughs> Just moving around in the sea going. Boing! <laughs> <laughs> What's going on? 
I mean, at night we should have a crab, so fuck knows what's going on. Anything can happen. If anyone discovers uh, <laughs> anything and they want to help naming it, let us know and we'll help out. Yeah, we would happily. That would be a cool competition. If there's any biologists out there that happen to be kind of on the verge of discovering stuff, I don't know how that works. Um, let's run a competition with Melton Hawaii. Someone can name it. Let's do this. Uh, we must have some biologists. If you genuinely not taking the piss, if you are in that kind of field and you are a metalhead, um, come talk to us and let us know on the Facebook group at facebook.com slash because um love to hear from you. Especially if you're a marine biologist, because I love every single sea creature. So come and talk to us on the Facebook group. Elle does love fish. Fish and ice cream is basically Elle's brand. You don't um, know me. I sure do. Um, we've got uh, two albums of the week this week that we're going to do because we didn't have time to do one last week because we were on a brutal deadline um, but it was worth it we've got a great new issue coming next week that we'll talk about on next week's show uh, but yeah we've got two awesome new hardcore bands to talk about this week um, let's do entry first this album is actually out on Friday uh, it's called Detriment the band are called Entry and it's out on Southern Lords uh, and this is about as chaotic and frenetic and loud and leery an album as you can squeeze into what is about 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, I first listened to it and I went to Milan. This is like five minutes long. And then I checked and it was actually 15 minutes, which is three times longer than I thought. Right. So quite long after all. They're, blog. An, they're an LA-based hardcore punk band. Started as a project between Sarah G, I think it's Sarah, could be Sarah, I'm not sure actually, having said that out loud. Sarah G and guitarist Clayton Stevens of Touche More, inspired by the likes of Discharge, Minor Threat, Converge, Tragedy, The Cramps and The Exploited. Yeah, I mean that description is longer than the actual album is to be honest, so we don't really, (laughs) that kind of does the job. But uh, yeah, it's it's just, this is a really great, I mean those bands named there are all brilliant reference points. Um, I was kind of thinking a little bit of that scuzzy nails vibe as well. If you like kind of like buzzsaw guitar, dirty, nasty, um, definitely more on the kind of hardcore side of metallic hardcore, but it's still got that kind of like metal undertone to some of it. Uh, This is very, very much for you. I think there's one song on there that's about three minutes long and then the rest are about a minute. (laughs) Um, It really, really does not wait around this album. Uh, but it's really, really, really good. Yeah, the, the, there's two tracks that are around the three-minute marks. Everything else is well uh, below that. Um, but this is a band that have actually been around the scene for a few years now. Uh, we've got a piece with them coming up in, I think it might actually be in the next issue of Metal Hammer that's out next week. Um, so you can read more about them there, uh, courtesy of Alex Della, who wrote that piece and actually put this band on my radar in the first place. Shout out, Alex Della. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a band uh, that are unafraid to talk about a lot of the things that the hardcore scene and the punk scene are built on. So they're attacking things like racism, uh, gender rights, reproductive rights, sexual violence, all very serious stuff um, that they kind of squeeze through the funnel of this chaotic and blisteringly angry hardcore. Um, yeah, and if you like the sound of that, I think you're going to like this album very, very much. It is really, really good. And uh you should listen to it five times in like an hour because you can my math yeah. is off there but you know what i mean yeah no you absolutely can anything else to add on on uh the one and only entry <laughs> no, not really it just gets in and gets out again and, and is loud and noisy that's what yeah. it does it's like a really larry hokey cokey <laughs> gets in and gets out again um so yeah 
Uh, like, but if I'm sure you got an idea if you like the sound of that, but it is a really, really, really angry, decent, um, Larry little record. Uh, so yeah, that's Entry Detriment that is out on Friday. Uh, and last week, and just as have, just as I have to credit Alex Della, one of our writers, for putting Entry on my radar, I've got to credit Stephen Hill, uh, one of our writers and occasional host on this podcast putting this next band on our radar uh, this is another great hardcore band they're called sharp tooth and their new album transitional forms came out last week so it's out right now you can listen to it this very minute um and this is hardcore as well but it's more in the vein i feel of kind of like the post every time i die era of hardcore so there's kind of big thick chunky riffs um very metallic uh catchy riddled with hooks but just also blisteringly heavy as well um, and full of those big breakdowns and big kind of shout along, scream along moments. Um, again, like a lot of tropes about equality and feminism and um, that are kind of that, that are woven into this. Uh, they're seeing the singer, sorry, Lauren Kashan. Um, uh, Elle found an interview with her online, actually, where she talks about some of her experiences and how those have influenced her music. She's obviously been through some uh, very difficult stuff that she's, she's channeled into this music. Um, this is an amazing record. I mean, we just talked about that other album being 15 minutes long. This album's only 30 minutes long, but it gets so much in there, doesn't it? Yeah, it gets so much in there. And she is really saying a lot in the lyrics as well. The songs are kind of to the point, but the lyrics are really, really biting and to the point. The very first song, Say Nothing, brackets in the absence of content, is basically just calling out bands that just have a load of beatdowns and do a load of generic things um without having anything to say and that kind of i mean they've had a record before this is their second record but that kind of gives you an idea of where they're going they're sort of calling out that kind of band and then using all of their songs to talk about different kind of issues so they've got mean brain which is kind of um talking like talking about the way people talk negatively to themselves like self-talk that's doing them harm and then they've got a lot of other outlook outward looking ones like the line that stuck out to me was on the song Hirudinia. I know what line you're about to say. Yeah. <laughs> she says, you're always silent when there's work to be done. You're not a feminist just because you fucked one. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I, I, I was yeah. actually saying to Steve um, after listening to this, it's very easy. And I, and, I, and I think it's a really good point you make about how on the first track, Say Nothing, they kind of call out that kind of empty posturing that has infected a lot of the hardcore scene. There's actually a bit on that song where the breakdown comes, where she screams, now this is the part of the song where we're going to slow shit way down for you so you can kill each other. It doesn't matter what I say here anyway. <laughs> it just kicks in and it's, like, it's so true because it's just yeah. empty, like, empty nonsense. A lot of those bands do kind of spout out. And then the fact that she then goes into kind of say all these things and talk about these these issues but in a way that really stand out and like embed themselves into your head and there's loads of moments like that track about not being a feminist um scattered across this record would just grab you and make you go oh fuck like that's it's amazing how so outright she is there is no fucking around she literally just says things how they are and how she feels it, and she's screaming throughout the whole thing um and you know there is there is a lot of vulnerability on there but she's saying it anyway there's a song called The Grey, which is about um, people basically not being black and white and not having black and white answers to problems and mental health and that kind of thing. Um, and she's talking about it and she's just starts screaming at the end. 
And she just says, I smashed apart my own skull, ripped out the wires of old. I saw the grey and decided I filled the fractures with gold. And I love that because it's actually, I mean, I don't know whether she was consciously referencing it or not, but there's this Japanese thing called kintsugi, which is when you have like a broken pot or a plate or something and you fill all the cracks in with gold and it's meant to be like more beautiful than it was in the first place. So I'm guessing she's sort of referencing that there, but it's... It's quite an it, uplifting kind it's of... It's really uh, powerful, yeah. yeah. Like really, really uplifting powerful. sentiment for an album that deals with a lot of heavy subject matter. Um, and it's weird because like most of the album kind of goes along on the same kind of tuck and pace of like those big, like I said, like every time I die-esque uh, riffs. Like there's little bits of bands like Cancerbats in here as well, but I think it's a bit more grueling and, and heavy than most of Cancerbats stuff is. Um, but uh, there's a track at the end called Nevertheless She Persisted that's really interesting because it, it starts off with this kind of slow, ambient, almost like post-metal vibe. Like there's almost st- things, but bits on there that remind me of bands like Alcest and stuff, that kind of post-metal. It's quite movie. catchy as well. Consider, again, considering the subject matter, it's, uh, it's another heavy one, not surprisingly, but it's quite catchy. It and is, there are well, some moments could... on this record of groove as well. There are, definitely, definitely. And I love the way that um, that final track kind of coasts along on that kind of slower vibe and then it explodes into this like urgent emotional climax but yeah like you said it is catchy it's kind of got those high-end uh metallic hooks in that a lot of like bands like i mean it's almost like a bit of a while she sleeps vibe like they're really good at that kind of thing um so there's that kind of thing about it as well um but yeah this is a fucking brilliant album and honestly i know that there's like it feels like hardcore is producing a lot of good stuff at the moment obviously the code orange album is pretty much the album of the year and that's come from a kind of hardcore base we've seen albums like 156 silence we just talked about the entry record as well um hardcore's producing great stuff at the moment but this album is in terms of just a pure brilliant hardcore album that's still got a couple of interesting little things sprinkled in it to suggest there's more to come this is just about as good as it gets right now and it just sounds fucking phenomenal i really 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 like this album me too there's just so much power behind it um, you know, I'm not the biggest hardcore fan, so I don't always like albums that, you know, might crop up in the journey of our work. But this is just, <laughs> this is just so honest and so straightforward. And so I'm just going to tell it like it is. Um, there's so much behind it. It isn't just empty posturing like she calls out in the first track. There's just so much happening here and you can see especially live people would really get like whipped up into a frenzy with this music and identify with it and find a lot of catharsis in it as well Mm. it's it's really exciting that we're seeing this generation of young women in the metal and hardcore scenes like i think about i don't want to put everyone into like a lazy pot but you know i do think about people like larissa from venom prison and serena from svalbard and there's all these artists that are now coming through and really speaking their truth in a way that Absolutely. Metal hasn't, hasn't had a lot of space for in years gone by. I think we're all being totally honest. And now it's all here and it's all animated and loud and righteous and exciting and vibrant and emotional. And it's just, it's just offering these perspectives that we've just not had enough of in metal. And, it, and, it, and you know, most importantly, it sounds fucking great while it's doing that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You can't help, like you said, it kind of feels lazy, but you can't help but listen to bands like this and think of people like Larissa or Serena Cherry and just think like, Oh, I'm so thankful there are now women just talking about their experiences and there's a place for them to be and you can make music and no one's gonna 
you know no one's going to interfere with that and what you're doing and your expression and it is really good because it's just not something that was happening a few years ago and it's all happening now it's happening now and we, we kind of referenced two albums that are this week that are, that are both doing that which is really really exciting um so yeah whatever kind of shade of hardcore that you might uh, personally be into I'm pretty sure there'll be something across these two records for you um, so if you want something a bit faster a bit dirtier a bit kind of more uh, gutter punk hardcore um, check out the entry album Detriment that's out on Friday if you want something that's bigger and louder and, and chunkier and absolutely brimming with all these fascinating insights and, and heavy subject matter but in a way that's delivered in a really uh, like Elsa, a really cathartic way as well Go listen to that sharp-toothed album, Transitional Forms, that came out last week. Two fantastic uh, young hardcore bands that shows that the scene is in pretty fucking rude health at the moment, which is good, good times indeed. Shall we take some lovely reader questions? I don't know why I sighed then. I do like doing this bit. <laughs> I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, I definitely felt like your brain just emptied for a second. You forgot what you were doing. It's because I was so ha- I was so stoked on the on the Sharp Tooth album and talking about it in the entry album that I kind of just went, oh, what else is there? <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll tell you what there is. There's a question from Sam Welch. He says, 35 years ago yesterday, that's the 13th of July, so that's Monday, the Mighty Status Quo opened Live Aid at Wembley. Who would you want to see represent rock and metal and open a globally televised event such as Live Aid? Who could bring the heavy but also be okay to broadcast on daytime TV? Well, this is an interesting one because I actually went to Live Earth, which I don't, I apologise if I've talked about this already on the podcast, but I I went to Live Earth in 2008, I think it was. Um, I don't know if you remember, like Al Gore basically did a Live Aid, but it was in the name of the environment and then recognising global warming and and things like that. Um, And I went uh i'm gonna have to actually look at the lineup because there's so many cool artists um on the one i went to uh in london um but in the space of like one day i saw red hot chili peppers i saw food fighters i saw um oh god who else was genesis were there beastie boys were there uh madonna played she was amazing as well uh, so it's a really stacked lineup and one of the main reasons i went were metallica were there um and so this is, I do have a point to this, by the way. I know it sounds a bit rambling. This is the biggest metal band of all time, unquestionably. The band that has had the biggest breakthrough into the mainstream of any metal band ever. Um, and the three songs they played were probably their three biggest songs ever as well. Certainly the three, what you would probably say are most accessible songs if you're trying to get someone into Metallica. They played three Black Album tracks. They played Sad But True, Nothing Out. Nothing else matters, and Enter Sandman. And um, I remember just, I was really excited when they came on. I was there with my girlfriend at the time, and and um, she was she quite liked Metallica, and I was there with my favourite band playing that day. And I remember getting so excited for them to come on. I was like, yeah, let's do this, let's do this. And then they kind of played those three quite safe numbers, and I was like, well, I can kind of see where they've done that. And compared to pretty much everything else that got aired that weekend, you could just feel the kind of, air gets sucked out of the stadium a bit because you could just tell that loads of people had no fucking idea really who this band were and maybe apart from Enter Sandman you could see people kind of click with Enter Sandman you could see people that just didn't really know what the fuck they were watching and I remember going back and watching the TV coverage afterwards and I think it was Jonathan Ross and Graham Norton were kind of 
commenting on it and they both the, the set finished and they both kind of went oh well, that was a bit silly wasn't it oh what do you think of that oh yeah that was a bit weird oh, what was all that about and it was like no one else that played that whole weekend got that kind of piss taking out of them do you know what i mean yeah so i know that it's just this is kind of just a fun question but i actually think if the biggest metal band of all time gets that kind of reaction um at an event like that i think it's quite hard for metal to i know you said rock as well but it's quite hard for metal to kind of represent at things like these because we're just so out of the loop when it comes to mainstream things and i think that showed even though this is like 12 years ago already how far away from the mainstream consciousness metal had gone because i reckon if that had happened in about 1996 and metallica did that it would be very different and the whole lineup would feel very different but i just kind of felt a bit odd do you know what i mean yeah because immediately metallica came to mind for me as the answer to this question but having heard that i could definitely see how that went down because it's really hard to pick a band from metal that is big enough to do that because you're down to a small pool then and Metallica were the obvious contenders because they are the most well-known metal band I mean there's Iron Maiden obviously your faves but I'd say that kind of music's slightly more niche than Metallica if you've never heard it before Metallica is you know the one you would put on so yeah if Metallica can't do it I don't know either like I'm trying to think of anybody who has any sort of mainstream connection and the closest I've got is Bring Me the Horizon and I can't imagine for a multi-demographic family event they would be the best choice. I mean, it, that could, that's quite a good shout, to be honest. I haven't even thought of them. I think that could probably work because they've got the kind of... It would be quite... If for nothing else, it would be quite fun to see Bring Me do what they did a lot of their recent shows and do, like, this kind of polished, really shiny four-song set, but then squeeze in, like, a three-minute... Like, Pray for Blakes or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just squeeze in something crazy. Because that that would actually... If nothing else, that would be a way to, like, make a real talking point for yourself and make people go, what the hell did we just watch? Um, I have to say, I do think the Baby Metal are great for stuff like this because they're... Yeah, so yeah, great so point. Easy. Go on. No, 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 that's, I was responding to you. <laughs> it's uh, a great point and I hadn't really thought of them, but yeah, because they've got that toe in our world, but they do something that you could listen to if you didn't like metal and you could get on board with still. And yeah, absolutely. You'd just be like, what is this? If nothing else, it would yeah, have that factor. Definitely. I saw them at Glastonbury last year and it was so nice to see people that didn't really know what the hell they are looking at slowly get won over by it. It just felt like the really wholesome thing. So I think Baby Metal would be great. Um, I mean, I, I still think Ghost as well. I think really on this next album cycle is when Ghost need to try and start getting booked on, I mean, it's a bit of a controversial thing to say, but things outside of metal, because I genuinely believe that if you had Ghost on that last album cycle, turning up and playing like Square Hammer, Dance Macabre, and then doing the Miasma skit with the Papa Niles saxophone solo, that's good at making an impression on people. And I think loads of people would absolutely fucking love it. I think Ghost would be amazing at Glastonbury and I would love to see them turn up on something like that and just kind of properly announce themselves to the world. Do you know what I mean? Their record label has been talking about them going mainstream since like the second album, you know, like, oh, they've got this massive potential to cross over. And sonically they have because it's not like it's double kick 24-7 or anything like that. Um, and the theatricality of it means that it can draw people in in the same way as Baby Metal who just haven't got a clue so I definitely agree with you if it's the right audience and the right introduction then they could definitely cross over some more people yeah absolutely um 
uh, yeah, I think I think we've booked a pretty solid villa. Bit of bring me, bit of Bevermill, bit of baby mill, bit of ghost. I think that'll work, wouldn't it? Probably the best options to put forward. Yeah, I can't think of sort of bigger, more mainstream bands that you could have on it, really. I mean, if you want someone that people are just going to like and appreciate, then, you know, Hailstorm could do no wrong in a bill like that. If they turned up, people would just go, holy shit, who's this band and who's yeah. that? Yeah, because it is more on the rock side um, and it has a sound people can relate to because she obviously draws on stuff from the 80s and a lot of her heroes and heroines are from the 80s. So there's common DNA in there that people could latch onto. That's a good shout. I would back that all day long. Um, and also, maybe this is a bit of a different tack, but Rage Against the Machine would be pretty good, especially if it was a politicised kind of humanitarian event. Um, yeah, I mean, we've seen them unite the country in the Christmas number one, so people would know about that even if they didn't know about anything else. So there we go. If, there's, if anyone's thinking of doing another Live Aid, <laughs> 35 years ago, so for the 40th in five years, we won Rage Against the Machine, Metallica, Bring Me Baby Metal, Ghost. And just shove on, like, Napalm Death as well, just because they're good. <laughs> uh, David Inglis says, we often hear about prima donna behaviours uh, from certain musicians, but to spread a more positive vibe, what are some of the most generous acts you personally experienced from your encounters with musicians? Um, we'll just talk about Metallica. I went to interview Lars in a big hotel Mine is the last one as well. Well, uh. <laughs> and he told me about how he brings his own vanilla bean tea out with him when he goes traveling because he likes to have his own tea bags. So they had in the, it was like a conference room or something in a hotel. They had like big jugs of hot water and he insisted on making me a cup of tea with his own vanilla bean tea bags that he'd specially brought with him. That was very nice. He was being very thoughtful. Can't beat vanilla tea. Um, yeah. <laughs> and in a similar way, I went to speak to Ishan in March and he greeted me and his PR with a box of milk chocolate hearts, which are the famous ones you get in Norway, like the famous chocolate hearts. And that was really sweet because we were like tired and hungry and he'd obviously thought ahead. And then after we'd interviewed him and done some photos, his wife and one of his sons came over to the recording studio and they brought over pizza for us to eat. That was very nice. Um, mine are all, yeah, mine are all sort of hospitality themed, I think. Uh, Yoshiki from X Japan, massive band from the 80s, who are like, people have called them the Japanese Beatles, if you don't know who they are. They're sort of a, this huge band with this huge legacy and crazy stories. Um, I went to see them play and he booked out a restaurant for me and some other journalists that had come over from the States. So he booked out this whole restaurant and we had dinner with him in Tokyo and he brought his wine collection and stuff and like gave us his wine. Um, and then he also got a minibus for us all and some translators who bussed us around Tokyo telling us about all the sites and stuff. That was pretty amazing. That's legit. Um, yeah. And then Underside, who I've talked about a lot before, they have the festival in Nepal called Silence. And again, they just really looked after me and made sure that I was well-fed and showed me all the sites around Kathmandu and just generally lovely people. Um, yeah, and during lockdown, Jacoby Shaddix, I've spoken to him twice, which is more than any other musician in lockdown. 
<laughs> and uh, he's always very, very welcoming and always asks how I'm doing, how Hammer's doing. So he's also very hospitable. So yeah, I guess that's some of mine. What a lovely bunch of lads you've been Exactly. To. All very nice people. Very nice people. And yeah, my, my first one was Lars as well. Um, the one and only time I've interviewed Metallica um, so far was uh, for the cover feature four years ago, just before Hardwired. And um, uh, I went uh, to America to do it. And um, I, I got like, I think I got about half an hour with Lars or something. And then I got time with James as well. But me and Lars, uh, Lars was just so great to talk to. And we just got into such a good, interesting conversation um, that when our time was up, he basically just turned around and just said, oh, do you want, do you want more time? I'll give you, we'll make sure we get you more time tomorrow. And so he just sorted me like another 40 minutes the next day that was actually fit into the day where they were doing the album playback to a bunch of people. Um, and they had to do other stuff that day as well. So he kind of went out to just make that bit of extra time for me. And he really didn't have to do that. So I really, really appreciate that. I know Lars gets a lot of bad, not even bad press, like he gets a lot of bad rep from people. And I do see why that is in some ways. But I honestly, I think he's fucking great. And um, I'm a total Lars guy. I'm a Papa Het guy as well, of course, but I'm, I'm all about Lars. Um, when I interviewed Lemmy as well, he was just amazing. Um, I did a big Instagram post on this a few weeks back when it was uh, Motorhead Day. <laughs> I just did that in inverted comments. Um, <laughs> Uh, and yeah, he was amazing as well. He poured me the stiffest Jack and Coke I have ever had. Um, he gently took the piss out of me when I said I didn't want a cigarette. Um, he just kind of went, oh, you youngsters and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he was quite sweet about it. And then uh, we had a really great conversation again. And then at the end, he clocked that I, I can't believe I actually did this, but you know, I was young in the game, so give me a break. Um, I wore a Motorhead t-shirt to the interview, but it was like, one of those kind of really wanky like high street ones and it looked like it wasn't like tie-dye but it wasn't far off that kind of thing do you know what i mean like it was bad man it was not good um and i think i actually got it from some high street store in emil hempstead and uh he kind of looked at my top and was just like where did you get that and i was like oh it's not really a proper mohead t-shirt is it and he was like no it's not and i thought he was gonna like take a piss out of me but instead called called in the tour manager um, and got him to escort me to the merch stand where he got me to pick out any t-shirt that I wanted. Um, which for me, being 23 years old at the time and very fresh into the industry was just such a cool gesture that, again, you really didn't have to do. Um, and that stayed with me forever, to be honest. And I have found that actually, I don't know if you'd agree or if you've had some exceptions, but I found most of the really super famous people you get to interview are actually all right because they've been doing this a long time and they understand that you know they've got nothing to prove it's okay to just be courteous and they're not off their tits on drinking drugs anymore they're just like quite normal people <laughs> yeah absolutely and just yeah like you said they're just really gracious and like probably see the value in being kind to outsiders and the media and they've been around the block so it's yeah. just it is it's part of the job in that sense and part of the job is to treat pe other people with respect which is a nice thing <laughs> yeah it's a nice thing to do it's funny <laughs> how it works uh and it works yeah i think it's just yeah by that time you know they've been doing it their whole lives so that's the way it is like a lot of those kind of legends are nice people to interview yeah definitely 
Um, let's do the next question. This is from Ben Wilmot. He asks, who's left on your dream list or bucket list of iconic musicians that you would love to interview? Well, as we kind of just hinted at, really, um, uh, I know Al, I think, has at least a couple that I can think of, but I'm quite lucky in terms of metal, at least, that I've met and interviewed pretty much everyone that I'd want to now. Um, my list wasn't really epically long to start with, but... Um, you know, most of my heroes in metal, I've been lucky enough to interview. But outside of metal, there's quite a high list of people I'd love to meet. Um, you know, I love dance music and I love hip hop. So, I, I mean, I get I got to interview Keith Flynn uh, on the phone a few years ago, and that was amazing. But to, to be honest, I'd really most like to interview Liam Howlett from The Prodigy. I mean, no, he is The Prodigy, really. Um, I'd kill to be able to talk to him. Um, I'd love to interview Dead Mouse as well, one of my favourite electronic producers, and he's a really fascinating character as well that I'd love to talk to. And in the hip hop world, like I've interviewed fuck all rappers, so there are loads of people that I'd like to interview. I'd love to interview Outkast, um, my favourite hip hop collective ever. I'd love to interview Run the Jewels, especially off the back of that amazing new album they put out. If you hadn't heard the new Run the Jewels album, just go listen to it. It's so so good. Um, I'd love to interview like Dre and Eminem. I'd love to interview Kanye, you know, for, for the fact he's such a fascinating character and I have no idea how it would go, but I would love to actually take him to task on some of the absolute, you know, quite dangerous nonsense he'd spout sometimes and try to kind of level that with the person that he was coming up in the hip hop scene and how it, he's just this weird contrast of characteristics that I just can't get my head around. Um, I'd love to interview Janelle Monet. Uh, she's just an amazing artist who I just think is incredible. So there's loads and loads out there for me, but in the metal world, I've been quite fortunate to pick the brains of most of my favorite artists now. What about you, Al? Yeah, similar. I think I've been able to speak to most people who would be on my list, but there are a couple. There's Trent Reznor I've never spoken to. Obviously, Night Nails are kind of massive now, so they don't do a huge amount of press. Um, I've interviewed a couple of members of Ramstein before. I've interviewed Christoph and Richard a few times, but I've never interviewed Till. He doesn't do a lot because um, I, I think traditionally it was because uh, he mostly spoke in German and didn't want to speak in English. But I think now it's probably just because he doesn't really have to. We had a press trip to go and interview Till recently, but um, because I'm really spoiled, I was already committed to a press trip to go to the Navajo Nation to speak to Alien Weaponry, so I couldn't do that one, sadly. Remember press trips? <laughs> um, but no, the, the New Zealand, the, sorry, the Navajo trip for Alien Weaponry was brilliant, so um, that was all cool. But So we did get the opportunity to speak to Till, but I'm going to have to wait until um, he does something else. And I've met Gajira, but I haven't actually interviewed them yet, so it'd be nice to sit down and chat with them about their music at some point. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, in terms of yeah, it's on that level. There's quite a few I've um, not interviewed. Yeah, that would be quite cool. I mean, there's lots of young artists I'd love to talk to. Um, you know, we we're just talking about Lauren from Sharp Tooth. Like, she's such instantly so interested by her and her experiences. I'd love to talk to her about those. Back that happened to me to as her. well. Like, I immediately just thought I'd love to speak to her because she just sounds so interesting. Like. Again, you can sort of look that stuff up online and maybe we'll have some more stuff come up in future, but she's had a really interesting path through her life. Definitely. And like Backwash as well, who we've done a lot on, on the podcast and we've got a big thing with her coming up in the magazine soon. She's really interesting. Um, so there's actually, in metal, there's more younger artists than probably newer ones now. Uh, oh, I just thought of one. Zach De La Roca. 
would have loved would love to interview him because he's yeah, so that would be great. Such an enigmatic character and i'm fascinated by how he doesn't really seem to want to do rage stuff but he's obviously still invested in politicized music because he does stuff like that run the jewels and stuff so yeah i'd be really interested to talk to him yeah that'd be super cool um i'm trying to think if there's anyone else musicians wise uh i don't know I'd like to speak to Henry Cavill as The Witcher. Not quite the same thing, but yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, if we're going for anything, then yeah, there's a lot of wrestlers on my list. <laughs> for sure. Undertaker, that's who I want to interview. I want to interview The Undertaker. He's um, a famous one. The what? He's a famous one. He's a famous one, and he's recently retired. Boo. Uh, Scott Sitampal asks, would you rather be a Muppet or a character on Rick and Morty? I don't feel like we've talked about the Muppets or Rick and Morty much on the podcast, but Ellen and I are massive fans of both. So this is quite good. We actually went to see the Muppets together um, with former online editor Luke Morton and some others uh, a couple of years back. That was a good night out, wasn't it? It was so amazing. It was at the O2 and they had this amazing opening sequence where they were on the tube and they were like talking about going on the tube and like being Muppets. And they just did loads of really stupid sketches with all the best characters. Um, and then I went to New York not long after and went to a Muppets exhibition, which I think you visited already, Merlin. I've been to the Atlanta one, yeah, which is pretty much the same thing, I think. But yeah, the it Puppet Museum. so good. Yeah, and you could see all the puppets and like... Oh, that was so good. What was that puppet Muppet that was really good? It was like special yellow Muppet or something. That was like... Amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love them so much. Sesame Street's proper amazing, man. And I, we were talking earlier, if that's a slightly different thing, but shout out Sesame Street, what a show. Um, and yeah, yeah, Rick and Morty. Oh, my God. When the... I think <laughs> when season three was on, it was all we talked about, like in the office. We were just obsessed with it. I think we nope. might have both bought each other Rick and Morty themed stuff for Secret Santas and all sorts of shit. Yeah, I've got uh, Mr. Meeseek, Mr. Meeseeks that I got for my Secret Satan from one of you guys, which is on the bookcase behind me. And I've got a Mr. Meeseeks Christmas decoration, which we stole off a Christmas tree at work, but we don't know who it belonged to. And we've also, when we went to watch Metallica last year, it transpired that we were both wearing Rick and Morty socks. Oh yeah, I remember that. One of us had Pickle Rick, maybe the other one had Mr. Meeseeks. I've got a Pickle Rick as well. Someone bought yeah. me a Pickle Rick. Um, I can't remember who it was now. But yeah. Oh, I bought you a Pickle Rick. Was it? Yeah, I thought it was. Yeah, I, I was out with one of our photographers, Jeremy Saffer, in Chicago. And we went to this fancy dress shop to try and get some stuff for a photo shoot. And I found a Pickle Rick. And I got one for you and Luke. So good. Well, so which, what's it going to be, Al? Would you rather be a Muppet or a character on Rick and Morty? I don't know if this means you have to pick an existing one to be or you can just be in the show. I feel like being in Rick and Morty is a bit more hazardous. I feel like it's more hazardous, but I feel like it's kind of more exciting in the sense of anything could happen because I feel like if you're in the Muppets or Sesame Street, anything can happen, but within the boundaries of the real world. Whereas in Rick and Morty, it could be like, any kind of universe or there could be any kind of character it's a really but the Muppets are classic I've loved Muppets since I was a child I'm going to be honest like with the the absolute state of the world at the moment there is enough chaos in my life right now so I think I'd just like to have a really nice chilled time with the Muppets <laughs> I'd be totally down for that not Gonzo because he's a freak but the rest of what? them <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> my safe word is Lichtenstein I know that's literally something that he said at the Muppet show it was I so 
shocked. I turned to look at Merlin and Merlin was like, yeah, he's really into S&M. And I was like, what? I just thought it was a children's character. No, he likes, he li- he likes that shit. Fair play to that guy. Um, but yeah, uh, but I think, yeah, I just like hanging out with the Muppet. It's just, you know, like in the films where they end up driving between places and they're all just like hanging out in the car, singing along, going places. That'd be great, man. I could do some of that in my life right now. Yeah, I think I would choose the Muppets as well. Especially, like you said, if it's like in the films, if you could be like in a Muppet Christmas Carol. And oh Rizzo my would God, be there. I didn't even think of that. My favourite Christmas movie. Rizzo oh my God. And like the little chickens would be there, the little penguins. I hope that the, um, the world is back to normal enough that we can do the annual Muppets Christmas Carol sing-along. I hope so too. That might be, if the world is back to normal enough, that might be like the next time we see each other. Oh, that's fucking depressing. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. That's still five months away. I'd like, I'm going to try to be a bit more optimistic about that. I can drive now, Al. I'll come see you. It's fine. Oh, uh, we can watch all the Muppet movies. Muppet the movies. Marathon. We could be that one. Imagine if, because Rick and Morty though, because they have the power to go to like any dimension and dream of anything, they could just write the Muppets into Rick and Morty. So you could actually have some kind of crossover world where some Muppets appeared in it. Yeah, I mean, I dread to think what might happen if one of the Muppets turned up in Rick and Morty, to be honest. But um, there we go. We've talked about Sesame Street and the Muppets a lot today. Uh, (laughs) I think that's fine. It's fine. This is the content people come for. Um, That is about it for this week's show, though. I think with that all said and done, (laughs) next week we're going to reveal a brand new issue. It is stacked with a ton of big names. Uh, We did something a little bit different for next week's issue that we're quite excited about. Uh, So more on that next week. In the meantime, keep being safe out there. Stay metal. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Goodbye. See you for one, two, four.